Welcome to Shedding Light Hunting Stories Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the average Joe and their fantastic hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams, who listened to episode 128. Well, I had caught a few fish down at the dam. I was with a guy at my church that I respect greatly as a fisherman and uh, his grandson. They were gracious enough to invite me on this trip and hadn't done any dam fishing. And uh, sorry, that came out wrong, but I hadn't done any fishing at a dam and <laughs> had caught some uh, some smaller sogeye and some other things, uh, some striped bass, and um, decided I was going to try something that I saw on YouTube. So I hooked a fluke on and did a Texas rig, and I threw it out real close, as close as I could get it, just slowly jigged that thing, and all of a sudden my, my pole bent. And I thought, oh no, I'm stuck on a rock again. Well, I, I pulled, and I realized this rock is able to be pulled up, so therefore it's not a rock, I must have a fish. So I made sure I, I yanked hard that the line was set and slowly started reeling, and I reeled in a 21-inch walleye. Now for you, that might not be a giant, but for me, that is the biggest walleye I've ever caught and uh, was just pumped. I had a great day yesterday. I tell you, it's been a fun it's a fun summer. I've, I've experienced some good fishing, taking my girls out on some trips, and uh, done some good stuff there. And it's uh, my big thing that I'm trying to do with this whole fishing is learn. Uh, I've been trying to go with people that know what they're doing, or at least call people and talk to them about it. And I, I never was really into it before because I was just so intimidated by all the stuff. I, if you've ever walked into a tackle shop and you just you you just look around and you just think there are so many different things in here. There are thousands of things in a tackle shop, you know. And hunting it, it can be daunting too. But I don't feel like hunting has nearly the amount of techniques and gear and different you know. And people debate over how to do different things. And then you get on YouTube and you have guys that are maybe just trying to sell you something. So I've been trying to go with some people, and and I've been blessed just to have some people that have been able to take me under their wing and show me some stuff. That's but that's what's been going on with me this summer and. But fall is approaching. I do have some velvet pictures of some bucks and um, getting excited to see those at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. My cell camera sent me pictures and I get excited. But I, I, I know that those, those bucks could definitely shift their range come fall, so I haven't gotten too you know, over the top over that. Um, but I tell you, it's, it's been a fun summer, and I hope that you are enjoying yours as well the best that you can. And um, yeah, so that's the stuff that's going on. Uh, I really want to say thank you for coming back for another episode. I know that we haven't been as consistent as maybe last year. Uh, we've been doing about one episode every couple weeks. In summertime, it's just hard to nail down guests. And I tell you, I I love doing this podcast. I love hearing stories, but I also love just enjoying time with my family. And so I've been doing a lot of that. So I will get these episodes out to you whenever the guests come to me or whenever I can line up a guest. And if you would like to come on and tell your hunting stories, I love hearing them. Sheddinglightod at gmail.com. Send me an email. Would love to hear your hunting experiences. Today we have a guest on that is very well known, if, especially if you are in the turkey um, turkey woods or if you're in the turkey hunting. Uh, this, this guy has, I, I think I started hearing about him about two years ago, and uh, I think the first thing I saw was a thing called Turkey Tuesday on Facebook, and I was just blown away with the information that uh, Dr. Michael Chamberlain was putting out there. This guy is known as the Turkey Doc, and um, he is a biologist um, and a professor at the University of Georgia. And uh, his whole thing is just talking about turkeys, and there are some phenomenal podcasts out there 
where uh, Dr. Mike comes on and he shares just stuff that'll blow you away about turkeys and predation and things that are trying to kill them and just the anomaly of a turkey even making it to be a mature gobbler. Um, so much information that he's put out there on Facebook, Instagram, and those types of things. And I thought, you know what, it might be interesting to have him on the show. And just, I know that he's a hunter. I want to just hear Mike's hunting stories. And so that's what you're going to hear today. Uh, Mike was gracious enough. He's a busy guy. Uh, carve out some time, and, and he comes on the show to tell those experiences about how he got into hunting, uh, just his passion not only for turkeys but for whitetail, and also um, some other animals that he's been able to chase overseas and uh, in Africa and some of those experiences. So we have some great conversations today, um, some good lessons learned, some good tactics I think that he's going to pass on, and I uh, think that you guys will definitely enjoy this episode. Once again, thank you for leaving ratings, reviews. Thank you for sharing this with your friends. And I'm ready to jump in if you are. Here is Dr. Mike Chamberlain. All right, guys. Well, I'm happy to have on the line Mike Chamberlain. Mike, how are you, sir? Doing well, Travis. How about you? Oh, doing doing wonderful. It's a beautiful day here in, in Ohio. How's things down your way? It's hot. <laughs> yeah. Hot as hell. Uh, we're, <laughs> literally, we're uh, we're supposed to be in the in the upper nineties today here in Georgia, and, and with the humidity, it's uh, the real feel is about one hundred and ten. So it's uh, it's pretty brutal. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's we've had some warmer days up here, but this morning at least the breeze is going. I got to do some fishing there yesterday. So what's uh, what's keeping you busy these days? Uh, work. <laughs> Um, yeah, so this is, um, this is a time of year where I work at the university of Georgia and I'm a researcher and a teacher. So with fall semester, right around the corner, we are, we're crunching, trying to get classes ready. And of course, with the the challenges of, of COVID and all that's introduced, we, we have some things we have to jump through and some, some hurdles to overcome that, that we haven't had to deal with normally, but so, uh, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I'm up to these days, uh, dreaming yeah. for, for fall and some cooler temperatures. Absolutely. Now, for anybody that doesn't know you, uh, you are the professor of wildlife ecology at the University of Georgia, um, and you're also known as the handle of the turkey doctor. Is that, did you create that or is that uh, somebody else make that up? Uh, no, I did that. Um, I was trying to come up with a, with a social media handle that would that was kind of catchy and um so wild turkey doc was was kind of what i came up with because i almost all of my research now is on wild turkeys i've I've studied a lot of stuff in my career a lot of critters but and and although i do some other research now i I do work on deer and, and coyotes and other species by and large i'd say probably 90 percent of what i do these days is is turkey centric so that's that's kind of why i came up with that handle absolutely yeah it's, it's a great handle and you also have turkey tuesdays which i really i thoroughly enjoy that every single single tuesday on instagram facebook uh you post uh some stuff that just the average joe is not gonna know about <laughs> it's just things that maybe you can observe some of it but and it makes sense but just some really good articles um and information on turkeys every tuesday that's that's a really cool thing that you do yeah, I started doing that a, a couple of years ago, and it it took some time to get off the ground, but um, but I get a lot of traction on it now, and it, that's cool because I 
I'm just trying to post information that that's relevant to turkey hunters and turkey enthusiasts and show people what the science says and, and sometimes stir the pot a little bit intentionally to, to get people <laughs> talking. And it's been really great because um, I think if, if you're, if you're a turkey hunter and you think about turkeys all year, that's better than only thinking about them during turkey season. So I, I'm hoping that, that those posts, if nothing else, will keep people engaged about turkeys and keep them thinking about the bird all year. And if they do that, then they're more likely to, to be more considerate of their management actions and be, you know, more engaged with, with agencies and landowners and you name it. So, so it's been really, been really rewarding for me. Absolutely. And I mean, it's great information. And I mean, this hasn't gone unnoticed. The NWTF gave you the Tom Kelly communicator of the year award for 2021. So that's, that's awesome. That's a really, uh, you know, just over the last year and beyond that, what you've done, just enlightening people, educating, it's been a really cool thing. What you've been on a lot of podcasts, you've been on a lot of different things and shared. What, what would you say is something people seem to misunderstand about you? Is there anything that people just, you know, they get wrong or maybe they don't quite grasp? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd say probably, and this is kind of human nature. Um, I think probably the one thing that that some may not know about me is that or may not always consider is that I'm a turkey hunter. In fact, I'm a I'm a hunter, period. I I grew up hunting, have hunted my entire life. It's what it's my passion. It's the only hobby I have. Uh, it's what I do all year. I either hunt or I think about it all year. My, my wife can attest to that. Um, yeah. you know, last night at 10 o'clock, I was going through trail camera pictures. Um, and I, th I think a lot of times people may lose sight in the discussions that we collectively have that, that really, I, I kind of look at issues facing turkeys through two lenses. And, and the first of those lenses is as a hunter that, you know, I was a hunter long before I was a scientist and so I think that's one thing sometimes people may lose sight of um, is that really first and foremost, I'm looking at, I'm looking at the future of wild turkeys as a hunter. I, I want to be able to hunt this bird because I've hunted them my entire life. And yeah, and that, that is part of who I am. It's part of my fabric. And so it's, it's really important to me. And, and, but I get it. I mean, sometimes when we have kind of difficult conversations, it's easy to kind of, lose track of, of what drives each of us and, and hunting is, is first and foremost, what, what I'm about. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think if anybody would get on your Instagram, which is wild Turkey doc or Facebook, they can see that that's the case. Like it's not just, um, and I think, I mean, even if there is a person who's not necessarily a hunter that's doing research, you know, there's science that goes into that, but the fact that you are in the woods um, outside of just your research, you enjoy being in nature. I think that that gives you an extra bit of credibility among hunters, or at least it should, you know? Yeah. You know, and I've, I've said this on other, on other podcasts before, but, and I, but it's true. Um, and it's not just related to turkeys. It could be any, any, any other animal that's hunted in particular, you can only get so much information and perspective behind a desk and you can only get so much perspective, even in the field studying 
whatever animal, but let's, in this case, we're talking about turkeys, you know, you, you can get a lot of information and you can learn a lot, but you learn more if you hunt this bird. There are things yep. that you are going to do. There are situations you're going to encounter that you just can't, you just can't encounter those situations in any other forum other than hunting. And, and that offers me perspective. And I'll be honest, I've, I've been on some hunts that, you know, where I got my tail kicked or, or something <laughs> happened. And I, I reflected back and thought, okay, now I get it. That, that figure that I, you know, looked at five years ago, of that bird that moved and did this, you know, X, Y, Z, that's what that bird just did to me. And mm -hmm. it, so it, I think it's kind of cool and it, it brings some of my own research full circle in my head because I experienced some of these things that I just couldn't experience if I wasn't trying to hunt this bird. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, um, you know, I've listened to a lot of these podcasts and, and so today I thought, you know, we, we usually, uh, when you're on, I hear a lot about the biology and those sorts of things. And there's a lot of great podcasts that have already covered that. So what I wanted to do today, if it's okay with you is kind of get more into just, Dr. Mike Chamberlain, the turkey hunter or deer hunter, or just hunter in general, and just hear some of your hunting stories and experiences. And just kind of, I just kind of wanted to, you know, kind of get a more behind the scenes. What's it like for you whenever you've been out there and what have been some of your favorite adventures? Does that sound okay to you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go back to the beginning a little bit. Uh, tell us about those first few years when you started hunting, how you got into it and any of those hunts that just kind of, you know, maybe paved the way for your, your passion for what you do. Yeah, so I, I grew up as a kind of a suburban kid, and my dad was a was an active hunter, but he ran his own business, and he worked really hard. Um, we we came from pretty, you know, pretty modest um, background, if you will, and so my dad worked all week, and Saturday was the day that we, he and I could, could hunt, and so we were kind of the, the prototypical weekend warrior, you know, and, um, we belonged to a deer lease and, and we hunted whatever was in season. If it was squirrel season, we hunted squirrels. If it was dove season, we went dove hunting. I mean, whatever it was, but we only had a certain number of opportunities a year, um, because of, of his work schedule. And, but I hunted everything. And then as I, as I started into high school and, and met friends who had mutual interest to hunt, I started, you know, I kind of blossomed, if you will, and, and started hunting different places and traveling around wherever I could and fishing and doing whatever I, I could to get outside. And I didn't really have a favorite type of hunting. I just, I liked it all. Um, yeah. And then I got in as a kind of transitioned into college. And once I started studying turkeys, you know, I was a turkey hunter, but but I, I wasn't what you'd consider a fanatical turkey hunter. Uh, and I guess I'm still not in, in some ways in that, you know, I, I hunt turkeys as much as I can in the spring, but, but then I move on and, and hunt whatever I can go hunt, no matter where it is. Uh, my wife will tell you, I, you know, I, I save up, I save up money. Um, she allows me to kind of pigeonhole some money out of my paycheck each month and I stick it in this account and that's what <laughs> I spend. Um, and that money, that money is my, 
that's my taxidermy money. That's my travel money. That's, that's whatever is in that pot of money is what I have available to me. And I, I build that pot up and, and if I want to go on a, you know, a hunt that's overseas or something, then I, I know how much money I have to spend to do it. And, and I'm blessed to be able to do that, but it's really cool because it kind of allows me to expand my hunting season. And so, you know, right now we're, we're in July and it's hot and, you know, dove season's right around the corner, but then our archery season's around the corner. And the next thing you know, you know, rifle season's here and duck season's mm-hmm. here and you name it. And I'm just, I, I'm doing all of it <laughs> um, for sure. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. And it's, it used to be, it was just deer for me and then I added turkeys and now elk every few years. And I'm the same way. I've got that account that my wife, uh, <laughs> she wanted to put it in with a vacation fund. I was like, no, no, it needs to be separate from the vacation fund because I don't want to feel like I'm taking away from Disney world if I'm going on my elk trips. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm probably the same way. I, you know, I, I'm a, if I was, to label myself as kind of a primary, you know, a fanatical this or that. I'm, I mean, I love the deer hunt. Um, I love everything about the fall. I hunt as much as I can. We eat almost exclusively wild game. So venison is a lot of our, our diet in my house. My kids love it. My wife eats it. She may not love it all the time, but she eats it. Um, (laughs) And, you know, I, I deer hunt until the very last and, you know, day of the season in whatever states I can go to. And, and, and I just, I enjoy almost every aspect of deer hunting. Um, then, then fall, you know, fall ends and winter ends and spring gets here. And then I shift, shift thinking about turkeys, but, but yeah, um, I, I guess I would probably label myself as if I had to pick something that, I get the most fanatical about it's probably deer hunting closely followed by turkey hunting. Mm. And that might be something that people misunderstand about you too, is, is it's like you said, like turkeys, like, yeah, it's, it's great. Like turkey hunting is, is awesome. I'm the same way though. For me, deer, there's just something about a white tailed deer and trying to figure that animal out. And, um, just the fall. Like I love spring hunting cause you get out, but you know, getting into the fall woods and just enjoying that time once the heat finally cuts, that's, that's where it's at. So I want to ask you what, if you could think of like maybe your top stories that come to your mind, whenever you think about whitetails, um, you know, guys are starting to think about that. I'm definitely getting into the trail cameras and thinking about that. What stories would rise to the top, just kind of being your favorite experiences that you've had out there, Mike? Yeah. One, one definitely comes to the surface. Um, so I, I have a, I have a camp in Louisiana that I've belonged to for quite a number of years. And there was this one deer that I, I called him slick. And that, that name was apropos because man, this deer had my number. It, I, I, we had pictures of this guy. He was a, an old 11 point, super mature, big pot belly, just, um, massive, beautiful deer. And I started getting pictures of this, this guy in the winter after our preseason survey. And I thought I had this, this deer pretty much patterned. And I did. The problem was that he had me patterned even better. 
and there was no way to get to this to hunt where this deer was hanging out there 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 were multiple stand locations but what he was doing is he was bedding along a bayou with a road adjacent to it and that road was the only way to access this part of the property and if for people that don't know anything about central Louisiana, it's very muddy, it's very wet and walking long distances is very difficult because you're slopping, you're, it's noisy. If you can yeah. kind of imagine the mud sucking on your boots. So I tried, I hunted, I hunted this deer for, for certain entirely 13 different days that I tried various approaches, trying to, trying to get this deer and, of those 13 times, I never saw him. Uh, two of those times, right before I got to the stand, I had pictures of him in the area. So he knew I was Man. there. Yeah. Um, one day, the 14th day, I was laying down at noon. I was, I was exhausted. Um, I'd been there for over a week. I was going nonstop. And I was really getting frustrated, honestly. And I try not to get frustrated with with deer hunting because I, that just takes the enjoyment away from it. And it's just an animal in at the yeah. end of the day. And, but boy, I was getting frustrated with this, with this guy, because I knew I was like, this guy, this deer knows every move I'm making. And it just hit me. I was like, you know what, why are you laying here trying to rest? You need to get in the stand and you need to try this approach. And the, that approach was basically just walk forever mm -hmm. and go as slow as you could to keep the mud from, from making any noise and so I did and it took me about an hour to walk in to the stand and no kidding when I got to the stand I got to the base of the stand and I was preparing to climb up and I looked up this right of way and he crossed behind a doe and I thought to myself man here's my shot so I climb up in the stand I get ready and 20 minutes later she comes out and he's behind her and I kill him and, <laughs> and I climb down and I get over to him and I can still remember how bittersweet it was. It's like one in the afternoon and I'm by myself. There's nobody at the camp but me. And I think, you know, I'm done. My season's over. I mean, this is, this was the deer I was after. So I sat there until almost dark, just kind of hanging out with this deer and, and reflecting it was it was bittersweet but that that hunt for that deer and he wasn't the biggest deer i've killed by far mm -hmm. but boy, he was special yeah it, that's I've, i hear so many guys talk about that moment and i, I can't say that I've, I've experienced that just yet but my buddy trav uh he had a, a real nice buck there last year and he had spent about three years just having different encounters it wasn't he's not the type that really just targets one specific buck but this buck became very, very patternable and he was able to get him last year. But he just talked about the kind of the sadness, like after it was over, like he was excited that he got the buck, you know, there, I mean, it's on the wall and all of that, but there's the whole realization, like the chase is over for that particular deer. It's in, and that's, you know, kind of a bittersweet moment for a lot of people. It is. It's, it's a strange paradox because, you know, on the surface, you're like, well, a, a non-hunter, would look at you and say, well, that doesn't, you know, well, then why'd you kill it? And yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's what you do. I mean, hunting, I mean, the kill is part of, of the experience. It doesn't have to be, but, um, but I, I, I'll be honest, I get that 
that sense in almost every hunting situation that I'm in these days. I think the older I've gotten, that paradox becomes more pronounced with me, whether yeah. it's a deer or a turkey, I, in particular turkeys, I, I get this strange sadness. It's like, you know, damn, you know, I've, I was so excited and this bird is so stunning. And then I, I step back and I go, you know, gosh, but I'm sad. I wish I could breathe life back into him and, you know, and start this morning over again. And so, yeah. And I, I've told others this, I've, I've told my kids this who are also hunters, you know, the day that I stop feeling that kind of paradox, probably the day I need to hang it up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. I think, especially whenever it relates to turkeys listening to you over the last couple of years and talking about just how much it takes for a Tom to become a Tom and live that long. This past year, I was blessed to kill one on an opening day. And it was from what I've heard, a very tough year for a lot of people, just that, that experience looking back, it's like, man, I, I killed a mature big Tom, just what it took for him to even make it to that point, you know, um, yeah. Ad, yeah. adds to, uh, adds to that whole experience and just kind of the, respect i guess it's respect that you have for the animal that you're chasing yeah i mean there's no question when you when you sit back i do the same thing every every turkey i take i reflect you know on okay what did it take for this bird to be here this morning or this afternoon and me be looking down the barrel at this bird mm -hmm. it takes the the odds are just astronomically high you know mm -hmm. that that bird will make it and and for, for me to be able to, to harvest the bird is, is special. I, I think, I think turkey hunters, unlike with some other species, I'm not discounting, you know, killing other animals. I'm just saying that when you look at what it takes to, to grow a, a tom, a two-year-old or older bird, it, we should, we should be, consider ourselves as very fortunate to even have the opportunity to take one, but much less to actually be successful. And I think if we, sometimes it's easy to lose sight in how important that is, I think. Because yeah. when you do, when you lose sight of that, then you, you lose some level of respect for the resource. And I think as hunters, we need to be mindful of the fact that that resource is, is what is, is, allowing us the opportunity to chase our passion and when we lose respect even a little bit for the resource then we undermine ourselves yeah i i 100 agree and i think you know i i think tv and some of those things that you see on there sometimes i mean you see guys getting excited and i think there there's there should be a, a, a cause for celebration and a cause for high fives and all that but sometimes i, I see that kind of go excessive i see guys with their pictures I don't know. It just seems like they're, they're more of, it's almost like a taunting kind of thing, at least. And I'm, I'm not the person to judge. I don't know them, don't know their heart or anything, but they're, I just have to think about how non hunters and the people that are against us, that's giving them fuel for where they're coming from too. You know, I mean, I, I think that respect needs to be there for each animal that we're taking and definitely, I mean, enjoy it. I mean, high fives and hoot and holler, that's fine. But I think there's also that level of kind of managing, <laughs> managing that moment and adding some respect to what you're doing and, and making sure that you're not taking it for granted, like you just mentioned. Yeah. And, you know, that's a, those, those discussions are, are tough because, you know, I, I'll, I, I'll give you an example. I, I have a friend who 
is one of those guys. He he's one of those guys that that gets super excited about it, and he's unapologetic for it. And yep. and he and I have had some some interesting conversations because, um, to your point, I when I see his reactions sometimes, um, and I've told him this that you know it as a non-hunter, I can almost or for instance, my wife. My wife doesn't hunt. Um, she fully understands the impact of hunting. She, I mean, she's lived with me for 20 plus years. She knows, <laughs> uh, she knows, she sees the passion. She knows the craziness as she calls it, but she would look at, and she has, she, she would look at, you know, this person's actions and, and kind of raise an eyebrow. Like, you know, that seems a bit over the top and excessive, but you know, at the end of the day, we all, I mean, we can't really impose our own moral compass on others. I mean, we, Right. We're in this together, you know, hunters, we're, we're all in the fight to, to ensure that we have a future doing what we love. And, and therefore we, we have to understand we're all different and we all have different perspectives and those perspectives are valuable. And in the end of the day, we, we collectively are going to have to work together no matter what it is, whether it's portraying ourselves to the public or whether it's portraying the resource in a positive way. Um, if we work together and, and we recognize that we all have different perspectives. And then I think at the end of the day, we're better off than if we're, if we're trying to police each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I completely agree with that. You, you mentioned uh, hunting with your kids and that, that usually stirs up some interesting memories and some experiences. What, what would be one of those moments for you, Mike, that kind of stands, uh, stands out as just a really neat moment uh, hunting with your kids. Any of those things kind of come up to the top of your head? Yeah, I, I think in the early days, um, the recognition that kids, they see the world differently than, than I do. And they don't, they don't care about the same things that I do, such <laughs> as being quiet or being <laughs> successful or, or whatever, it, you know, in the beginning. And I, I have now a 19 year old son who is a fanatical hunter. I have a daughter who she's less fanatical. She, she enjoys sitting in the stand and watching her dog pick up ducks or, and she's killed deer and she, she enjoys that, but, she's more about just kind of relaxing in the outdoors. And, but in the early days, it was all about snacks and Cokes and, uh, me being willing to entertain the notion that I was not going to, to be successful that day. And, (laughs) and I was going to have to kind of change my, my thinking. And once I realized that, uh, I, I realized that, you know, getting kids to think about hunting and want to go hunting or just want to go to the camp and be around buddies or, or, you know, acquaintances, that's really what matters. So my, uh, my kids, I mean, my son started hunting when he was four. I mean, he, he tagged along with me everywhere I went. I'll never forget the, the craziest story. He was seven years old and I took him on his first turkey hunt. He didn't have a gun. Um, he was just sitting there and we walk in, I'm on a piece of private property and I had not scouted. I had no idea what I was, you know, about anything. I just went to where the landowner said, Hey, start here. And you, you may be able to hear a bird, bird gobbles. 
long story short, two hours later, uh, six hens have walked within 10 feet of us, literally. I mean, just, and there's a seven-year-old hunkered down beside me, beside a tree. He has not moved a muscle in two hours. Wow. And this Tom is, I mean, raising hell and, and getting closer and getting closer. And, it, you know, the bottom line is I'm, I'm about to kill this bird. This, this bird's following these hens. It was mid-April. It was super, super green in Louisiana. So you couldn't see far. So this bird's going to have to walk in my lap. And, he, and he's going to. And I keep whispering to my son, be still. Be still. Don't move. And, and he kept saying, I haven't moved. I haven't moved. I haven't moved. I haven't moved. <laughs> we probably <laughs> said, be still. I haven't moved 5,000 times. <laughs> and finally, this Tom struts out from behind a tree. And I, I ask him, I whisper, I say, you ready? And he said, yeah. And I shoot him. And of course, he 20 yards, he, you know, shots true. And the bird goes down, literally just drops, doesn't move, just drops. And I'll never forget, I, I get up and, and walk over to the bird. I've never been one of these, you know, run out there and grab them. And I just kind of, I mean, if I know the shot is good, I just kind of reflect, them, you know, a few minutes. So I go out, I walk out to the bird and I get to the bird and I turn around and look at my son and he's taking his mask off. And this kid is beaming from one. I mean, his smile was just ear to ear and he's got this just crazed look like he's he's in awe he just couldn't believe what he had just experienced because this bird had done it all man i mean he had gobbled drummed strutted i mean he he had done his business I, we had gotten the hunt that you always want you know the hunt mm -hmm. that you wake up for so i i go back to the tree with a bird and we sit there and had a you know a lesson about turkey you know morphology and all which you know i he probably geeked out on but so he gets home and he tells my wife as we're taking pictures, he explains the entire hunt to her, you know, like dad kept telling me to be still, but I was still, I didn't move. And, and that was kind of the first, that was the hunt that kind of, kind of opened my eyes to hunting with a kid because it was like, man, this kid sat still for two hours. And yeah. I don't know today that I could sit still for two hours. Oh, I mean, no. It was just crazy, and um, it just goes to show you, you know, malleable young minds. If you can, if you can get them started, and ensure they have positive experiences, that they'll, you know, they'll carry that through their life. And he has, and, and so has my daughter. Yeah, man, that's special. That's a cool moment you'll never forget. I, with my daughter, um, when she was about three, we set up the part of spring last year during COVID was uh, we went out as a little family. We built up a little ground blind in between two trees and went out there with my daughter. And we had a hen roll by and, and didn't get anything that day, but just taking her with me, I, I pretty well knew. I mean, I brought snacks. I brought like all kinds. I even brought like an iPad so she could <laughs> just to help because I knew it was going to be a long time for her. But there's just nothing like being in the woods with your kids. You know, you, you kind of change your definition of success. Success isn't necessarily getting anything. It's, it's just being there with your kid. And then if you see something and they get to see that and interact, you know, that's, that makes it even better. So oh, absolutely. Really cool. Yeah, I mean, it completely changes your definition of what ends up being, you know, a good hunting day. You know, in my case, sitting in the stand, you know, in a, in a box stand with my, with my kids and them, 
glassing deer and talking about this doe or that fawn or this spike or this whatever, um, you know, the volume would get up and I'd okay, calm down, guys. You know, <laughs> quiet down a little bit. And I spent a number of days with both of them in the stand at the same time, and that was chaos. But but looking back, you know, those were those were as memorable as the animals I've harvested for sure. Yeah. It's not easy. I, I, I made a post the other day. I, I took my daughter's fishing. I've kind of gotten into fishing this summer more than I ever have. And it's been nice because it's way easier in some ways to take your kids fishing than it is to take them hunting. <laughs> and so, um, you know, we took them out and I, we went out, I should have known better, but went middle of the day and it was hot and they, it, they whined and complained and fought with each other and bickered. Of course, one of them's four and one of them's two. And so that's going to happen. And it was just, there wasn't a whole, we didn't, we didn't even catch a fish most of the morning. And then I was glutton for punishment, went back out that night. And my daughter, out of all of us, she was the only one that caught a fish. She caught a little bluegill, but that, that little bluegill, I was like, you know what? We've worked hard for that today. <laughs> and yeah, we just kind of learned to, yeah, you learn to appreciate just kind of the smaller things and it makes it worthwhile. No so. question. Well, you mentioned being able to kind of hunt around the world and do some different things. And I was on your Instagram and I saw, um, an example of that, you hunting a sable. And I was just curious about the story behind the sable and then maybe any, some of your other, you know, uh, adventures where you've been able to travel, any of those kind of stand out to you. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, you know, like I said, I've kind of squirrel money away for a sole purpose of being able to, to travel a little bit. And, and I'm, I'm not, it's not lost on me how fortunate I am to be able to do that because I understand that not everyone can. And, so I, I plan trips well in advance and, and I've been able to, you know, I've hunted in Africa a number of times as a kid, I, I dreamed about going to Africa. I, I was the prototypical, you know, I read all the books, Rourke and, and Capstick and, and just became infatuated with, with the African continent and <clears throat> these stories of safaris. And, and of course I never thought I'd, I'd ever lived to do any of that. And the same thing, you know, I read about hunting in Canada and, and caribou and hunting in New Zealand for stag and all these, these kind of romantic and cool things and just assumed I'd never, I'd never be able to do any of that. And, and a number of years ago, I just said, you know what? <clears throat> it was actually, as my dad was aging, um, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to start doing some of these trips. If I can afford to do, you know, this trip, I'm going to do it. So I, I started trying to, to plan years in advance and I did. Um, so that Sable actually, this was my, you know, I've been over to Africa several times and um, on this particular trip, I, I've never hunted a Sable um, for several reasons. One, it, they're, they're expensive. It, it takes money to, to be able to do that if you kill one. And and more importantly, I, you know, I hadn't really made the opportunity for myself, but that, you know, that was an animal I've dreamed about. They're, they're just stunning in person. Yeah. Can you uh, describe that a little bit for anybody that's um, maybe they're driving, they don't have a chance to look it up. What, what exactly? Cause that, whenever I saw it, I was like, I didn't even know the name of the, the animal that you'd killed. So what, what is a sable? Yeah. So sable are, they're an antelope. They're, they're found across parts of, of Southern Africa. They, they have horns that that grow kind of go up and then go backwards over their the back of their neck, um, mm-hmm. 
they're they're kind of black in color. They have really beautiful gold colored markings around their face. They have a kind of a mane on the back of their neck uh, and the top of their shoulders that that's really pretty. And they're they're quite large. I mean, they're you know we're talking four or five hundred pound animals here. I mean, they're they're a lot. There's a lot to a sable, and they um, you can shoot them, you can hunt them in a number of different landscape types in, in Africa. But where I where I ended up hunting this this guy was in the mountains, and that really that really brought a, a level of of challenge that I wasn't expecting and honestly it was so cool i mean we we identified this guy this bull he was in a group um we hunted him for several days he every time we went left he went right um and of course are you using a bow rifle no i was using a rifle and okay but but what if you've ever if you've hunted in the mountains you, you know this you know elevate you know where you are on the mountain matters and if animals are above you it can be a real challenge and mm-hmm. you have to pay attention to air and cooling and heating and these things and this this group of sable just kicked our tails i mean they just every time we tried to do anything we we would get to where we could see them at a distance but we just could not stalk them we, we tried everything and, and finally I, I think it was the fourth day that we had hunted trying specifically to define this group of sable and this one bull that we had seen we have we happen to cru- kind of cross paths at quite some distance um and i ended up uh basically having to shoot this guy from one mountain to the other um and then get over to him and and recover him and just the whole the whole hunt was it was almost surreal um you know an animal you that I've thought about since I was a kid and then to be able to hunt and kill one. And then not only that, but the quality of this bull was just, and, and I'm not a, I'm not a guy that counts inches and, you know, and brags about it. Um, but man, this sable was huge. He, he was just <laughs> huge. Yeah. Um, and to get over to him and just, I, I was just stunned. I, I, I didn't really know what to say or, or do, or, so we actually sat there. We, we had no way of getting this, this thing off this mountain by vehicle. So as you do, you, you know, you get skinners in and you, you, you skin this animal and you quarter it and you get it out of there. And it was a day, you know, I, I shot this animal at seven fifty in the morning and it was, you know, it was the end of the day when we got out of there and it was in all aspects, it was just wonderful. And my son was with us, which was great. Um, you kind of, you know, those types of hunts and I've been on a number of, of hunts where I almost felt like I was watching as an outsider. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever experienced that. I, I, it was so surreal to be able to do what I was doing that I actually felt like I was standing backwards watching myself and yeah, it was really strange. Um, I've had that happen a, a handful of times that I could remember that I was so caught up in what was going on that it felt like I was watching it, you know, as a spectator. Yeah. And it's really, it was really cool. But that, that was a bucket list animal on a, on a bucket list hunt. And I was so fortunate to be able to do it. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. I think 
for me, that, that would have been back in uh, 2016. I went on my first elk hunt out to Colorado. And my, my dad had gone quite a bit, you know, whenever I was a kid. He had gone – well, not quite a bit. I mean, he had gone like three or four different trips. And I just remember he would always talk about taking us, but unfortunately wasn't able to go on this trip due to his cancer at the time. And I just remember I was I'd, – I'd been hunting with some guys, but I hadn't really got up to super high elevation. And one day I just decided I'm just, I left this park, and I'm like, I'm just going to climb. So I started climbing up this steep uh, bank and mountain, basically. And I got up, kept going, kept going, kept going. And finally, at one point, it kind of opened up and I just turned around. And I, I guess I hadn't really looked back up until this point. I look back and all I see is just mountains for miles. And it was just one of those moments where I was just like, I can't believe that I'm here. Like, yeah, I, just, I was yeah. like, I know I'm hunting, but I'm just going to sit down and just enjoy God's creation for a second here and just take it all in. And, you know, you just kind of those moments where you're just like, man, I am... And it's, I feel bad for a lot of guys because some guys aren't in a position to do that. But I also think a lot of guys are intimidated to even start. You know, I think, like you said, having that little money where you can talk your wife into, hey, can I just put this back for – and that's that's what I've had to do. I'm, I'm not a millionaire. I've got to put back every month just a little bit and over – and I maybe I can hunt every three to four or five years, you know, out west. But to me, it's one of those things I'm like, man, that moment and those moments that I've had since then going back a couple of years ago, it's just – it's not even really about the hunt sometimes it's just putting yourself into those, those places that you wouldn't get to see in Southeast Ohio or, or Georgia or wherever you're located. Yeah. 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 No, I, I'm, I'll feel you for sure. I do the same thing with, I try to do the same thing with every hunt I go on, even if I'm just on a simple Turkey hunt in Texas or something is, you know, just sit back and pay attention to what you're seeing rather than just focusing on the chase of the animal and, you know, here in Georgia, it's really, it's thick, it's forested, it, you, you can't see very far, and you almost feel claustrophobic sometimes, and man, when I get out west, or I get overseas where there's mountains, or, you know, where I can see, I try to just step, you know, force myself to step back and say, you know, Mike, you need, you need to just sit here and pay attention to what's going on around you, and realize that, you know, for instance, you're sitting in the prairies of South Dakota and you can see for five miles and you can hear turkeys gobbling forever. And, you know, that just appreciate the fact that you're here, no matter what the landscape is, because you are blessed to be able to, to experience different things. And, uh, and to your point, I think you're right. In some cases, I, I have friends that, are, that seem pretty hesitant to want to, you know, I think there's, there's trepidation with, you know, hey, can I make this hunt work? Can, you know, bite the bullet here and spend some money and go do X, Y, and Z. And, and I used to be the same way. And, and again, I finally just said one day, you know, I'm, I'm going to make these things happen if I can afford it within reason. Yeah. Um, because it's important to me and you only live once and, yep. you know, and if, if you do what we do, then, at some point there's going to come a day when I'm not going to be able to climb that mountain anymore. And, <laughs> yeah. and the, my knees are telling me that may not be that many years, you know, in the future, but, but yeah, do it, do it while you can. That's my philosophy. Mm, that's a good one. Well, I got one, one last question for you. We'll, we'll wrap up with this. Appreciate you coming on, sharing your stories, but if you could, uh, if you could turn back time, uh, you've been able to have a lot of hunting experiences and gain a lot of hunting knowledge and things like that. If you could just kind of turn back time and, and speak to 18-year-old Mike Chamberlain and give him just one bit of hunting advice, 
What advice would you give to, to that 18 year old that you think could maybe help him out or maybe give him more success or maybe a better appreciation? You know, uh, no, it's a random question, just throwing it out your way. What, what is one bit of advice that you would give to your 18 year old self if you could do that? Oh, this is an easy one. Um, yeah. Slow down. It would have <laughs> been to, to slow down. And, you know, when I was 18, I was, I was like most 18 year olds and, you know, hunting was cool, but, but it was really easy to get, to get caught up in. Okay. Well, let's go have lunch or, okay, well now we're done. Let's go home. We're going to go on a date or let's do this or let's do that. Or, um, let's, let's try to kill this. And if we don't, let's move over here and try I mean, it was just a constant, constant mm -hmm. motion. And, um, I think I would tell myself to slow down and pay more attention to, life and what was you know what was transpiring around you mm. rather than just trying to move on to the next you know the next agenda item if you will which I think I see that in my son and my daughter uh, less so in my daughter but much more so in my son that he he has that same kind of mentality of okay we're going to check this off and move on to the next thing and I, I think sometimes if we would just slow down when we were younger and pay more attention uh, we'd become better hunters faster, if you will. Yeah, man, that's, that's really good advice. I uh, think of the great philosophers uh, of the 90s, uh, the, the band called Alabama. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a hurry to get things done. I rush and rush and make life no fun. You know, I just think about, I love that old song because it just makes me think about that. Like, yeah, a lot of times we, I still am in like hurry mode. I, Russian and that can kind of translate into your hunting a good bit too, where you're just, just take time and just breathe a little bit and take it all in. And, um, you know, sometimes we can make it no fun. And I think just slowing down makes you appreciate things. That's, that's really good. So, I think, I think in most aspects of life, we would just take a deep breath and, and be less apt to just react and more apt to just reflect. I think we'd, we'd, we'd be happier with our own lives in, in most aspects. Mm -hmm. I would agree. Well, Mike, I really appreciate you giving us some time today and that you're busy getting ready for the fall and all those great things. If, if guys want to uh, maybe find out, find out more about Turkey Tuesday or uh, what you do, can you give us a little bit of information on uh, just kind of your social media info so guys can look you up? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So um, if you're on Instagram or Twitter, if you, if you search on wild turkey doc, that's wild turkey doc it's all one word you'll find my you'll find my pages uh, on facebook it, you just type in my name um michael chamberlain and you'll you'll see it i post the same information on all three platforms within reason every tuesday you know twitter with the character limits it becomes a little challenging so it's a little different but um I also post quite a bit of personal stuff on, on Instagram as well. I, I don't post much personal stuff on the other two platforms anymore, but, but yeah, uh, feel free to look me up. And I, I, you know, I, I interact with a lot of people on social media I get a lot of messages and I try to respond and, and I do, I respond to everyone. It, sometimes it takes me quite a while, but, um, but just be patient. So if you have a, you know, you have a question or you're interested in something I post, feel free to reach out to me and, and I'm more than happy to, to engage with you and, and provide any information I can. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed hearing your stories and some of your experiences. I know that there's a lot more that you could share. So 
Uh, thanks for, for coming on and um, sharing what you had. I appreciate it. Not a problem. All right. You have a great day. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Man, I enjoyed that. That was cool. I really enjoyed hearing Mike's stories and kind of his experiences and um, didn't really know that until I got on his Instagram that he is kind of going overseas and had that passion for hunting in Africa and uh, had, had some good experiences there. So I really appreciate Mike coming on, being willing to share that very uh, down-to-earth guy and um, definitely has a passion for all sorts of hunting, not just turkeys. I would encourage you guys, if you have not listened to his other podcasts or uh, checked out his stuff before, make sure you do that. There's going to be a lot of things that you can learn about turkeys that not only educate you, but also I, I think it's helped me become a better hunter. Just kind of understanding why do turkeys do some of the things that they do and, and how do things work. And um, some good information there. You know what, what Mike talked about there at the end, what he would tell his 18-year-old self, that kind of blew me away. I, just how quickly he knew what he would tell himself. And that was to slow down. Uh, just slow down and take it in. I, I struggle with that. If Maybe you're like me. We just go from one thing to the next. I get into my house and I think about ways of getting outside my house, going and doing things, going fishing with my kids, and, and just, just so many different things. And sometimes I, I just can get overwhelmed. Um, I have no embarrassment telling you that I, I see a counselor. It started off as just kind of grief counseling. Just uh, not that I was losing my mind, but just something that I thought would help. And I've just continued to meet with this guy that... It's just nice to have somebody to vent to that's not really uh, related to me or goes to church with me, just somebody I can just kind of unload on. And, and the last time I talked to him, we talked about how there's just these moments in life where you just become overwhelmed. Um, so much stuff, and it just sometimes it leads to poor decisions or, or just uh, bad thoughts or whatever. And he just talked about, I forget exactly what his term, I just call it situational awareness. What he had me do, and this is you know a little weird, but he just had me just stop for a second. Just breathe. And he asked me, what, what, what are you sensing right now? And that's a weird question. I know it's very hokey and kind of weird, but I'll ask you to do the same thing. If you just took a breath right now, do it. I know you don't want to. Do it. <laughs> what, are you, what, what are you experiencing? And if you just look around the room that you're in or wherever you are, what are some things that you notice that maybe you didn't notice before? until you just took a second to breathe. For me, in that moment, it was I noticed a clock ticking. I hadn't even noticed it. The clock had been ticking the whole time, but I'd never stopped to listen to it. I, I noticed uh, there was a machine outside of the room that kind of makes some air noises or whatever, and I kind of thought about that. And it wasn't like I had a deep revelation, but sometimes when we take this moment just to breathe and just sit back and just look at everything, you kind of become more aware of your senses. You become more aware of what's going on around you. And it's just this moment where you can kind of, for me personally, you know, on a spiritual level, it gives me an opportunity maybe to connect with God a little bit more. Um, sometimes it just gets so complicated, so much stuff going on. But if we just take a moment to take in this breath in our lungs that he gave us, you know, verse that comes to mind for me is just be still and know that I am God. But in order for us to know that he is God, we first off have to sometimes just be still. I think about one more story I'll give you. Uh, there's this two ladies that are excited to have Jesus in their house. It's Mary and Martha, and Jesus comes into their house, and Martha is just frantic. She's like your grandma. She All she can think about is getting food for Jesus, and so she's trying to prepare this meal. Meanwhile, her sister Mary is just chilling at Jesus' feet, just sitting there hanging out with him. Um, 
Martha takes notice of this, and she gets rather frustrated with her sister. and says, hey, why aren't you helping me? I'm in here working like crazy, and you're just sitting there doing nothing. But then Jesus says to Martha, you know, Martha, you, you're worried about a lot of things, but your sister's not doing nothing. She's actually chosen the better thing. It's better to sit sometimes in silence than to work, even if the work that you're doing is important. Sometimes it's good just to take a breath and sit there. And for me personally, it's a recognition of not only what's going on around me, but the person that created what's around me, the person that's given me breath in my lungs. Hope that's some uh, encouragement for you, some food for thought, maybe something that you could try today. Guys, I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It means the world to me. Would love to have you on if you have any stories to share. Sheddinglightod at gmail.com. Send me an email. And until next time, I hope that you'll remember to shed the light.